Hey guys, Dylan Hartley here. Thanks for joining me on the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. I'm sure we all missed the Guinness Six Nations at the weekend, but boy, are we heading into a good week. So, to get us excited, I'm joined by two guys who can't stop winning trophies at the moment. Exeter and England teammates, Henry Slade and Luke Cowan-Dickey. So you boys have obviously left your England bubble this week to go home to see your families. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, it was nice. Obviously, we've both got young children, so it's nice to get back and see them. Uh, but yeah, nice to get back. Um, Olive, my daughter's got to get her first tooth coming through. So yeah, it's nice to get back and see her. I just got a text through today, actually, that she started eating like a plant downstairs. <laughs> I got, I got sent a picture of this leaf. It's like this size. It's like, a, it's like that bigger chunk of the leaf been eaten off. <laughs> she's been eating eating the plants now, so she's eating everything. So you're, you're at that stage uh, with Olive where you're getting your first everything, like everything's like this yeah. massive milestone. Yeah, exactly. Like when she's sitting up now. and uh, She'll be emptying that pot plant into her mouth, mate. She'll be eating yeah, a month before right. you know it. <laughs> Dickie, what about you, mate? Did you get home? Yeah, I got home for a few days, mate. It was nice. Um, little man's birthday was the Scotland game. So um, it's the first time I saw him after that, which was nice. The only thing was I tried to, he's quite late to crawl. So he turned a year and he pretty much crawled like a couple of days before. I was at home for ages trying to get him to crawl, trying to get him to do anything but lie there. As soon as I left, two days, he started crawling. Devastated. Missed it. Oh, no. When they go mobile, it's trouble, mate. Like, having them as like a little potato is the best thing in the world. Yeah, but um, I just bought a dog pen, bro. I'm going to put them in that one. I'm out. A dog pen? <laughs> little cage. Is it, is it cheaper than a kitty pen? Yeah, a little cage, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's at the stage now where he can't leave the room without him screaming, so he's got the attachment issues at the moment. Um, we started him off at, because we had him in lockdown. Uh, pretty much start lockdown so we've seen no one so we started him in nursery uh every friday just to get a bit of interaction and i think that's going quite well so what what about like breaking breaking that bubble for you guys like as i understand it's been second time round. it's pretty intense is this like a massive relief for you boys to get back and i know what it's like having having like a young family getting home it's like going home for christmas you know what i mean mind you my, my drive from pineal park was only about an hour and a half you guys got a good six hours in the car but like to, to break the monotony of what you're doing at the moment, is it even sweeter? Yeah, I think it was nice. Obviously, it's nice to get a break. I'm actually really enjoying it. Um, I don't see many people outside my house anyway, so this lockdown stuff's pretty normal for me. But now it was nice. It was good to see, obviously, the missus and um, just help her out, you know, because first time parenting on her own, so she's finding it a bit tough. But like I said, four days was probably enough for me, mate. Back up here and I'll get some good kit. Hang on, aren't, aren't you like semi-detached with Jack Knoll? Don't you just have a fence that separates you? Yeah, no, separates we're, all, we're all detached, but yeah, I could I could throw a, throw a stone in his window easier. You haven't done that, no? Not quite a stone, no. No. So you, your missus is in good hands. She's, she's obviously got Jack's family just over the way. Just on that, when, when you are back in Exeter, you, you are um, admittedly a bit of a recluse. Do you actually see Jack much? Yes. Yeah, no, obviously we sometimes go for like a bit of food um, over each other's houses. We, we're sort of like... Since the start of the lockdown, we've all sort of bubbled together. Like, we've never, like, left. Um, so it's, it's quite nice that you've got neighbours right next to you who are also, like, uh, club teammates who get tested constantly to have around. Otherwise, it'd be pretty pretty lonely place. But now it's been, it's been, it's been all right. Yeah, it's been good. So um, you boys have both had a, a pretty interesting year. Both became dads for the first time. You've had a pretty amazing year, rugby-wise. Success uh, domestically and in and, and Europe. Has your kind of perspective changed at all, like, by having your kids... Yeah, I think so, mate. I think obviously it's a massive change having a kid. And it's, it's very different, but it's been 
it's been class. It's all just felt like it's it's meant to be. Really, I think it just feels. I, I couldn't imagine life now without without little Olive. And oh, the, obviously, it is, it's cute, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is obviously like I say, it must be different. But I'm I'm loving every minute. Megan, my partner's loving every minute. And um, like I say, it's been a great year on and off the pitch. But I think yeah, it probably has has matured me a little bit. In the past, probably think about yourself and obviously I think about just me and Megan mainly and, and how things would affect us, whereas now we've got Olive come before everything. So Apparently you, you had uh, the delivery, you just cried throughout. <laughs> no, nah, nah. I, I don't cry with anything, mate, right? But I don't know why, I just can't do it. That's a lie, bro. Well, it's not. I've seen you cry. You're an emotional guy, bro. But then, well, yeah, as soon as, as soon as she was born, I, like, I couldn't speak, mate. I couldn't speak for like three or four hours. Like the midwives were trying to get stuff out of me, and I was like, I just literally couldn't say anything. I was, I was a mess. I wasn't like crying nonstop, but like every time I went to speak, I just like my voice didn't work. It was weird. But yeah, I suppose it's, it's just that like I'm real, I'm real experienced in it, and just we didn't, we didn't know what we we're gonna have, so we didn't know boy or girl. And Mrs. had a C-section, so when she was pulled out the, out the, out the sunroof, we were, we were just waited and see, see if it was we were having a little daughter or a little boy, and yeah, hell of a surprise, probably best surprise you'll ever get. It's just mental, mate. It was, it was real emotional. Is it that sort of thing now? Like when you when you go home from training, like you're forced to switch off? Because I know it was like you know pre kids, you know, as a sportsman or sportswoman, you're you're pretty selfish, aren't you? You just do what you want. But like as soon as you go through the door at home, it's like you get this ball of sick or a ball of poo kind of just thrown into your hands, and it's like, can you feed him? Can you feed her? Can you do this? Can you do that? Like your missus has just been holding down the fort all day. Yeah. It kind of forces home, you, you get, to switch off. You get given it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's been the best thing. I, guess, well, I don't know if you think the same. It's been the best thing for me. I think sometimes I, in the past maybe I've overthought things and overanalyzed and things playing your mind too much from training or from games and having Olive and having someone to come home to that just to completely switch off and forget about that and just relax and enjoy our company. Really, it's been I think it's been really good. Dwelling on things can have such a negative effects. So I think yeah. You can't do anything about the past, so I've always think that now I see I've got something to, to take my mind off things. It's it's way better. You just think about what you can do the next time, really, when you get into the into training or to the next game. So, Dicky, you've you've always done many a thing to take your your mind away from the game. Goes through phases. Goes through phases. Yeah, your phases. Um, <laughs> can can you list a couple of your phases? You know, pre Arlo, what, what have you what have you been into? I want I want to talk about the horse. I want to talk about the the, the gaming. So the horse, the horse was was pre my missus now, so pre Chloe, so with my ex went ha- went hacking a few times. Yeah, we bought uh, bought an Irish horse. Bloody out, came at like three a.m. in the morning. But a genuine, genuine, very good experience. I had to stop, so that we had. I think it was like our second prem final, um, and I we went hacking a couple of times in the week before it, and he, <laughs> I got bucked off twice. And I was thinking to myself, if I get bucked off again and I injure myself, how can I go into Rob Baxter and tell him? Yeah, I fell off my horse, mate. So I had to put him to one side and um, basically never rode again. I mean, when, when you say you had to put him to one side, he didn't go off to the glue factory, no? <laughs> uh, Tesco's Burgers. Oh, no. Eddie threatened me with the glue factory for years. <laughs> but but genuinely, did, did you live on a farm or did you just keep this horse like tied up in the front garden? They had a, yeah, they had a farm, they had land, they had acres, uh, they had cows and stuff. It wasn't huge, but it was, they had a fair few fields. Um, so we just kept it there, yeah. What? So you, and you didn't marry her? Oh, dicky, mate. You left the acres behind. Oh, that no, bro. Edit, I, found, oh, yeah, I found the one, brother. found the one. All right. <laughs> um, what came after the horse? Nah, so gaming. So gaming's always been a 
been a thing of mine. A game since I was probably, I don't even know, I can't remember. But I gamed a load. Golf was quite high up. So I used to play probably 18 holes every day. Nine on a Friday before a game. And then sometimes if it was an early game, I played 18 after the game. Dylan, can I stop you there? On a day off, day off, he'd walk 36 holes, Dylan. Yeah, I, I got obsessed. I got obsessed with golf for a year. Um, that's a good seven miles. That's a, that's long a good way. seven a lot, eight miles, yeah. isn't it? That year, also, obviously, I went for a single patch, so I was trying to get in good condition. Dropped to 100 kilos, actually, which wasn't very good for the rugby. Um, but now, nah, yeah, and then gaming. Still game quite a bit. Not as much, obviously, with the little one. Um, golf's been fully put to one side because it's either golf or gaming. I can't, I haven't got time for both now. And gaming is obviously easier. I can sit down, drink coffee. and. So a couple of um, nice sort of accolades. Um, you were number one in the world at one point for team deathmatch or capture the flag or something like that. Um, hopefully some of our younger viewers, I don't actually know what that means, Dickie, but I think it's <laughs> impressive. Uh, what about golf? What handicap were you? Um, so I was playing with the boys, obviously 18, but I think I went around ex- the Exeter Golf and Country Club uh, 12 over, which it was about after a year playing, which was nice. I, I do love it, but um, were, were you performing well at the weekend when you when you were playing golf, when you're gaming, when you're riding your horse? Were you playing well? Do you think like having balance and interests outside of the game were good for you? Yeah, definitely. It gives you time to switch off. You know what it's like when you're at the club, it's all pretty much flat up training and meetings. And then there's, you're out like kids when you're there, eh? Um, and then when you go out and get on the golf course, you can't really act like a kid. A lot of the the women and the elderly gentlemen look at you strange. So it was a good time just to switch off. Sometimes I'll play by myself, just, you know, uh, get a bit of alone time. I think it was around that time when we had, there was mad traffic and exit one week. And like, a journey that would take 15 minutes to take it, like it could take you like an hour and a half. Like that's how delayed it was, maybe in two hours. So Dickie didn't really, didn't see, I guess you didn't see your phone, did you? Um, yeah, gaming, of course. Didn't see his phone, left at a normal time and was like, never going to make the uh, the game. So he got to what, like, about probably like half an hour before the game and he's, he's, he's at Toby Carvery on the on one of the roundabouts up by Sandy Park. And he's like, I'm, I'm still, he's still like a good while away from the club. He's just parked up at Toby Carvery and he's run, what is it, about a mile and a half probably? Yeah, about a mile and a half. He's yeah. run in, in his flip-flops, Bag like bag over his shoulder. He's running past all the fans that are walking to the game, and he's <laughs> he's running to Sandy Park. He gets there twenty minutes to go, has a shower, um, doesn't do the warm up, just gets changed, has a shower just in time for kickoff. Plays seventy five minutes, gets him out of the match. <laughs> I love that. I, I was kind of hoping that the story would have been like Dicky picks up his phone, realizes there's two hours of traffic ahead of him. And he saddles up the horse, mate. That was pulls up Sandy Park on the horse. Imagine. And yeah, I literally got that. The breath was late, so I got there, and I was in the physio room. I got strapped. So I, I genuinely had probably five minutes. Put my boots on, I went out. But I already did my warm up. I ran a mile and a half to get there. Hi, I'm Courtney England Lock here to remind you to leave us a rating and a review at the end of the podcast. Cheers. You boys go back a real long way. You kind of come through the academy together. Um, do, do you remember your first impressions of each other? Yeah, so Slady actually played for... Did you play for our college first day before England? I think it was. He, he come and played a few college games for us. And on, he come from a posh school, obviously, Henry Slade. Um, and he, he came to our college. And to be fair, man, I, I thought he was a bit of a loser. Like He just looked like one of them losers, do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like he just wouldn't get on with. Um, and he still is a bit of a loser, but he's he's all right. Like he's, he's turned out to be quite good. He's put on a little bit of size. Back then, honestly, he, he looks probably about sixteen now. Back then, he was about looked about eight, and he was eighteen. Um, but now he's he's grown. He's he's blossomed well. That's what I'm going to tell you. He blossomed well. Dicky, I've I've got a bit bigger, and Dicky's got 
a considerable amount smaller. Turned up, first time I saw Dickie, he's about 125 kilos, this fat kid from Cornwall. First time I ever seen him, I was like, who is this guy? This is like a big sausage. <laughs> so you both got capped 2015. Slady, were you 2016 or 2015? Same game, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So you boys have had, I'd say, four or five years of uh, maturing within that environment, waiting for you, for your shot. Like, Dickie, was that experience for you uh, a good kick up the backside in a way? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a bit early for me. Um, I was relatively new to hooker. Um, not the smartest blokes anyway. So understanding the line out, what I struggled with. So I could I could stand and throw a ball, you know, to a pole. You know, when you do your extras to a guy on a ladder, that was no problem. It was more the time you were throwing. Um, and when I got into games like the France game, I, I might have hit one out of about five. Um, that was more, I just had no idea where the ball was going to go. So I think... After that, obviously, it was good to get my first cap. But then thinking back, I was I was probably – it didn't set me back. But in my head, I knew I wasn't ready. So I think it was slightly early for me at the time. But obviously, now I'm here where I am. Um, and it was obviously the right decision at the time. You know, I was going to say, from, from my point of view, like, you know, playing hooker, there's always direct competition. Unlike a bit like Slady, you could play you could play across the back line, you know what I mean? Wherever the, the boss or the, the, the coach sees fit, you could slot in. But at hooker – you kind of like pigeonholed that one position. So I was always really aware of my competition, you know, of, of Jamie George and yourself when we were all in camp. Slady, for you as well, uh, you've played across the back line. You've played 10 for Exeter, 12, 13. I don't know if you've played anywhere else, but are you just kind of now finding your feet? You feel established within that 13 shirt? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's where I play. I haven't played anywhere else really in 13 for a, for a while now couple of games at 12 here and there but yeah I feel oh, that's my position and that's what I've been sort of getting used to and and and, and getting better at and better at all the time I mean when I first started at 13 I'd warm up game before a premiership season started and I'd never played 13 before and thought it was a typo when it first came out on the team sheet but yeah since then I've I've really enjoyed it and yeah I definitely feel, feel at home at 13. What, what did you what did you learn from like your, your early experiences so so go back to 2015 and, and you get thrown into that. You're on the rise. You come in, you get capped, but then you kind of get checkered in terms of, you know, you get sent back to Exeter. You, you're not in that starting shirt the whole time. Dickie, you've had to wait for your first start in, in 2019. So what was your kind of thought process during those last four or five years? What Have you, have you had to have a look at yourselves? Have you looked at your competition and, and how you've got to get better? Well, yeah, I think... Well, before I made my first cap, I, I'd been in camp for a, for a little while, obviously pretty young, and was not expecting it at all to be to be involved, just sort of for the experience. And I thought when I, when I got my cap, I felt like I was in I'd been in pretty good form, and I was, I was feeling quite confident and young and confident. And you know, getting that first cap, uh, and then obviously 2015 here in England didn't go the best for us that time around, and I didn't get that many opportunities. But I think I, I felt I, when I went back to the club, I felt like I was in in good shape and maybe with a good chance of being involved in, in the Six Nations following up. But then I, then I broke my leg and that obviously put me out of that and put me out for a little while. I maybe knocked a bit of confidence out and took, took a bit of coming back from, maybe a bit longer than I, I thought. Obviously, I was over it fairly quickly physically, but mentally it was a bit different. It took me a little, little while to get over that and get back to playing like a like a one or two, really. It took actually probably a couple of years. It was getting frustrating. More, I was getting more and more frustrated because... I just wanted to pick pick straight back up from where I left off, but realistically that wasn't quite what it was going to be. So yeah, just got got my head down really and, and worked back worked hard to get back in the fold with with England and 
uh, and then gradually got my foot in the door a little bit more. I think the Argentina tour was quite good in terms of obviously a few boys being away on the Lions. It, it gave us a chance to to start and yeah, from there I feel like I've I've pushed on a little bit and yeah, we've been here a while now, me and Dick, and we feel I'm speaking for him, but we feel pretty confident in the environment and the group. And yeah, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy coming to camp every time I come and um, hopefully we get to keep doing it for a bit longer. Do, do you feel like now that you've kind of, um, you've had a couple of premiership titles and uh, a European t- title, do you feel like you can walk in now with your shoulders back and your head up like you're, like you're the man? Like you can, um, no, genuinely, like you can, you can be yourself, you can speak, you can command on the field uh you, you're in a leadership role you know you're, you're 27 years old you're not a young player anymore do, do you feel a lot more confident now yeah definitely I think I don't know whether it's subconsciously just through having to where we've won with Exeter over the last few years maybe subconsciously makes you feel a bit more able to speak um and maybe feels like your your voice has a bit more clout I don't know but I, th- I guess it's a combination of that and just through being in, in camp and getting to know the boys over the years and Myself and Luke probably feel much, much more able and more confident to speak up now. And oh, he stopped speaking for Dickie. He can, he can speak for himself. Some like old man, that bloke, isn't he? Go on, Dick, you speak. Luke Cowan, Dickie, spokesman, Henry Slade. Yeah. Dickie, what, what about you? you? You're four or five years in and out of, uh, you know, the, as an old bugger like myself hanging about, you must be pretty frustrated just going, go on, Dylan, and retire. You know, I, I had to do the same. Like I had Steve Thompson, Lee Mears, people like that hanging around. I always thought, I was ready and I was good enough. But for me, that experience of sitting behind people and just waiting and waiting and being sent home on a Tuesday type thing, in the end, it, it put me in good stead. What about you, mate? It's taken you four or five years. How do you feel now? I think it's been it's been worth the wait. And I think, like you said, um, I definitely feel the last couple of years is probably where I felt actually ready to, to play international rugby. I knew I was sort of able, but it's like you said, it's there's, there's different pressures in it. Um, when I first started, obviously, playing hooker, even at at club my actual technique of sort of set piece stuff hasn't changed too much it's more understanding the lineups like I said um, I think my first year or two years at Chiefs my stats were horrific I maybe hit 70% line out success um, and it was the same when I first come in here I think the more prem games I played the more comfortable I got it just seemed a lot easier and here now picking up cap here and there um, just getting that game time um, I think coming off the bench Previously, in the last sort of few years, obviously I struggled a bit. Um, it was more nervous, like you don't want to do anything wrong rather than put the team on the front foot. Whereas now it's, like Slady said, a bit more, it's comfortable isn't the word, but I feel more comfortable around the boys. It feels more like a club environment. When you go on the field, it feels more like you're you're trying to make the team better rather than perform well yourself, if you understand. But now it's been good. It's been a long time coming and I'm, I'm just enjoying every minute now. The Argentina tour was going to be one of them ones where, like you said, it would have been you and hopefully me was there, but I had to get a knee up. Um, so there's a few things like that, I think, which would have been good for me to get experience on, uh, which I missed out on. The wait's uh, been long enough and I, I, yeah, I feel feel pretty decent now and, and confident to, to perform in big games. What, what I hear from both of you is uh, something that resonates massively when I look at Exeter. you got like that that brother's environment where you're all in it. You've got a great club environment and it feels like you guys uh, are more assured, assured in yourselves because of that club environment that you've probably, and the relationships that you've formed in that England camp now. So you can be yourselves. Talking about being yourselves, like Dickie, I've always known you as a, a bit of a wild boy, a bit of a wild man. Um, we don't need to tell too many stories here. We haven't got enough time because you've got physio in, in half an hour. But um, 
is he still there or is he matured? What what's matured you? Is it is it kids? Is it is it age? Is it opportunity and and whatnot? Is he still there? Because I see it when you play. Like I love that about you. You kind of confrontational. You're you're a wrecking ball, mate. But how do we say this politely? Off the field, is the wild man still there? Um, no, no, not anymore. I can bring him out when I need him, but not off the field. Um, I think obviously training, like always. Normally, people call you noises, but I normally quite noise in training. Like training, I, I train flat out. They say it's a 60% run through and I'm going 110%. Um, same in games. I think you can't really play a game how you want to play unless you unless you lose the plot in training a little bit. Um, but now, definitely off the field, I've, I've matured, obviously, with a kid. My partner now, obviously, uh, live together and stuff. So it definitely has matured me. I find, I find, you know, when I have to let myself out a bit, I just go and game by myself. Um, I think that just chills me out. Hi, this is Ben Youngs, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. We talked about your, uh, your, your first caps back in 2015. What was your driving force leading to that point? Well, who, who was pushing you? Were you pushing yourself? Did you have aspirations to play for England? Were you really focused on it or did it just come about? What, what were you doing pre-2015? Yeah, I think as a kid growing up, and you, you always want to play for England, don't you? It's like you, you watch Six Nations. Well, no, because I didn't, Slady. I didn't know what the Six Nations was. So, Well, I did. And I wanted to be in the Six Nations and playing for England. So, yeah, it was it was a long-term goal. But I think we, we were obviously coming up from from school and, and through the Exeter Academy. And when we just got into, we were living together in the lodge and some horrible times in there. We, we just focus on on getting into the Exeter team and, and being able to play there because England for us was miles off or seemed miles off. By the time we we broke into Exeter, we've gone. We, they sent us on loan to Plymouth and played a few games there, and then got brought back. So it was always like little short steps. We had like we had to get into the Plymouth team. We had to then play well there, get into the Exeter team. And once we were in in Exeter and we had we strung a few games together, then it wasn't far off. It wasn't that much longer until. It was Lancaster at the time. He sort of pulled us in for a few training camps, wasn't it? And then, then all of a sudden, it's like it's quite close in front of you. Gone from being like a, a dream from a long time ago to being actually right there, but without maybe having thought about it too much. You boys are like the the trailblazers in a way because you know Exeter Rugby had it provided international rugby players pre you guys. Nosey was first, and we were a bit a little bit after that when we. Oh, TJ. TJ. Oh, TJ. Yeah, TJ. Tom, Tom yeah. Johnson, Tom. obviously. Yeah. But um, I was going to say, it's not like the Exeter that it is now, where you guys are kind of, um, you, you know, obviously winning silver and that, where it's a lot easier for, for England coaches to to find and, and look at players. So, yeah, effectively, you boys are trailblazers, which I think is pretty cool. Dickie, what about you? Someone told me that your brother is way better than you. Is he playing down Plymouth? Yeah, nah, Paris. The issue is he, he hasn't tamed himself off the field, mate. That's That's where he's gone wrong. I can vouch for that. Yeah, he's still wild, yeah. Now, it's, I was pretty similar to you, sort of growing up. I had I played rugby because I enjoyed it, but I never watched it. I didn't like I didn't know you could actually make money from rugby. I didn't know it was a job, do you know what I mean? So I think it was like sixteens. I was playing eight for county and then the academy coaches at Chiefs um had a chat with me and said, Look, um, like we want to move you to the front row for obvious reasons. Um I was a chunky kid. Um and then from there really just being to them. Um, that's probably when I properly switched on, went from like a hobby bit of crack to I could potentially do something. Um, obviously, weren't the smartest bloke in school. <laughs> it, was, it was either that or fishing. And I went out for a trip with the old man for nine days and it was probably the worst experience of my life. So I had to make something of this. But yeah, we started, like said, we signed the first contract about 17 and then 
Um, from there, it was just trying to try and play a game. I don't think I played a first-team game at Lucid. And then the year before, or I think, well, the coaches, the England coaches, they sort of spoke about turning me to a hooker. And then that's when it was. I started playing. Basically, that year, I was playing for Plymouth. Um, I had a couple of games, Chiefs, and then came away with, with you guys. So can we can we cut back in there? So you went fishing with your dad, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Deep sea fisherman, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, trawlerman, yeah, like normal. How long did you go out for him? Just overnight or did you go out for a bit? Yeah, nine days. Mate, is it like deadliest catch? Yeah, well, it's, it was, I was, I was, I think I was about 15. So you work six hour shift and you sleep six hours. So it's on and off basically. So days roll into one. Um, it was quite tough. Uh, we obviously at the time, he didn't have the, like, it wasn't a major, massive boat. It was a decent size. You'd empty the fish out onto the decks um, like midnight with the lights on. You'd have to sort through the fish then you'd gut them on top um, and then put them in the freezers below. Um, so in about six hours, you'd probably get two or three hauls. But I think after maybe the fifth day, it was the sleep that was getting to me. Like, really, it was tough. I was feeling sick. Um, and then after the nine days, obviously, give me another chance to go back out. But I, I said I couldn't. So when you got an opportunity to put pen to paper and, and be a, a full-time professional rugby player, that was an easy, easy decision. Yeah. Well, my mum obviously came with me at the time. And we both sat there and we had no idea what was going on. And obviously we got given the papers and the, it was in front of us. And I looked there and I was like, what do I do here? Um, and she had nothing to say. So I just signed it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Slady, any, any work experience pre-rugby? I did not, not quite as extreme as Dickies. But my, all my family, well, most of my family are farmers. So I just get shipped off to the farm just to be helping out, get paid, a can, paid in a can of Coke at the end of the week or something. So that was not quite as, not quite as probably as tough as getting up at every six hours with Dickie, but it was pretty tough. We're up long days. Yeah, Dickie's Dickie's story is way better. Way better, yeah. Yeah. Um, you boys both twenty seven. How, how much better can you both get? Like, I, I'd say you you're coming into your primes. You you your club, your club stuff's going really well. Country's going well for you both. You you're established. Like, how much better can you boys get? And and what's your sort of drivers now? Well, same drivers as I've always been. Really, always want to be as as good as you can be. We both got young families now, so trying to make as as good a life as we can for our. For our families now, really. There he is again, the spokesman. Every time. Dickie, what about you? How, how much better can you get? You've, you've, you had a taste last weekend, got a nice start. Your try tally is impressive. What? How many are you on now? I want to say seven, six, seven. Mate, it took me Maybe. 97 games to get four. It was ridiculous. And then Dickie, you did that in like a weekend. I had a lucky uh, few games on the chop, bro. There's a couple of those overthrows over the tail. Nice place yeah. to defend off the tail five metres out in it. Um, but no, hell of, hell of a, a try tally. How much better are you going to get, mate? Um, I don't really know. Obviously, the environment here is good. Eddie's always saying none of us in the team at the minute know how good we can get. Which if it's coming from your coaches, obviously, it's quite frightening to hear. Like, you feel like you're playing your best rugby now and um, hopefully we've still got many years to go. But I suppose it's just happening to the guys around you, you know, um, what areas you can work on. And especially conditioning-wise, I think, I think conditioning-wise and sort of power, speed, um, the more you can improve on them, I think talent will, will take care of itself. Um, so hopefully I've got, got a little bit more of me, so we'll see. Um, maybe I'll oh, get The more the you can improve on those things as you get older, the, the better you'll be. Yeah, well, as I say, in the next year or so, like you said, you hit 30, you're downhill then, mate. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially the front row. You don't have to be quick. But like, you know, when you're coming through, you, you've got these um, these school coaches or county coaches and you've got your academy coach. And then, you know, Rob Hunter, Ali Hefer, Rob Baxter, the kind of big drivers. Now you're you, you got, you're both fully-fledged international, seven tries each. Stop, I did read my notes. I was going to say, who's driving it now? Because I, I know Eddie's a massive driver of you guys driving your own careers effectively. What are you doing to become better? 
have you taken uh, your preparation, your your conditioning more seriously, your game understanding, your recovery? What what are you focusing on mainly, Slady, for you to improve? Well, in terms of recovery, we're always we're always trying to maximize that. What's best? Like, there's always coming up. They're always coming up with new things to to improve on that. So that's always getting better. Um, in terms of working on things and always sit down with with the coaches and and the SNC guys here and come up with um, drills we can do in the gym, exercise in the gym, drills we can do after training. I've been working with TT, one of the obviously you know one of the SNC, um, on a bit of footwork and ball carrying just to try and do a bit soft training, you know, little and often because obviously you're pretty tired after sessions. So getting bits in bits in here and there where what you can what you can make better is important. So always always just working on little things, never sort of sitting still really. Uh, Dickie, what about you? What, what are you working on other than your, your, your fitness? Is there anything else you take far more seriously now? Um, yeah, so like you said, fitness, obviously. Um, I've had my times in the past where my diet maybe has gone off track. Uh, so for me personally, it's that. Um, as you get older, obviously, um, recovery. I never really did any recovery when I was younger. Um, I just just never did. Uh, but now it takes so much longer to go to the games. You know how training is when you're away with, on camp. Um, it's so tough. So mainly just recovery stuff. Like I said, he said, there's loads of new uh, new stuff that they've got here, which which I'm trying out, um, and it's definitely helping. So for me, getting older, it's more more recovery after training, just so you're you're back ready either for the game or for the next day's uh, training sessions. Yeah, I, I see. Everyone talks about recovery now, but it, it's more it's more preparation for the next day, isn't it? It's the way of thinking of it. It's not downing tools in it and having a massage in a hot tub type thing. It's actually getting ready for the hard work you're going to do the next day, putting yourself in best position. We haven't got much longer, boys. I was thinking, who's keeping you honest? You know, obviously, ambition is keeping you honest, keeping you there, um, wanting to maximise the opportunity, do well for your family, like you alluded to, Sadie. But, like, in terms of competition, like, I talked about being a hooker. There's always a Tom Youngs, a Rob Webber, Steve Thompson, Luke Carl and Dickey, Jamie George. There was always someone keeping me really honest. Who's keeping you honest, Sadie? I mean, there's always competition. Like, for example, in this, like, this camp here, uh, it was it was a shock to me that, that JJ's not here. Like for example, if I'm seeing like players of his quality not being involved, then you're thinking, buddy, are you lucky to be here? So there's always massive quality here. There's there's loads of quality not quite in here as well. So there's a lot of people vying for the same spot. I think that's that's what's keeping you honest. And I think what's also keeping you honest is you don't want to be that bloke to let the team down. You know, you want to be pushing on, uh, getting better each day, and. Um, working as hard as you can for each other. I think that's what we've got here is a is a real good group and we've sort of all bought into the thing of fighting as hard as we can for each thing and seeing where where we can get really. Yeah, mate, this this competition's the best thing and literally everywhere everywhere we look there's competition. So it's a well rounded, polished answer, Slady. Dickie, who's keeping you honest, mate? Who do you like scrapping with? It's gotta be Jinx, first and foremost. Like, yeah, obviously, pretty- yeah, Jinxy. Jinx is obviously um it's a bit like you and him. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm sort of him when it when you were in your playing days. Um the competition in camp with us two is good. Do you know what I mean? Like um and I say it all the time, it's if you didn't have competition like that, your your team's never gonna get better, you're not gonna get better. Um but the way I look at it is if you're too busy looking at other people, you're never going to concentrate on yourself and trying to improve yourself and even enjoy yourself. If you're constantly looking at your back, then you, you're not going to enjoy the the one cap I've got left or the 30 caps I've got left. So if there's a, another guy obviously coming up and, and he's on the radar and he fits the position better than fair play, the only thing I can do is, is try and improve myself and, and keep going the way I'm going. So, uh, But now, yeah, the competition me and Jamie's got is, is going all right to be there. Because he's a top bloke, so it's hard to be... It's, you know what he's like. He's quite funny. Like he's real, real good to get on with. It's just hard to 
maybe sometimes have that competition go over too much. Sometimes, you know, you like a bit of rough and tumble. It's quite hard to do it. Well, guess what? You're a front rower and you, you're playing a, a contact sport. You know what I mean? Like, it's um, it's going to happen. But I, I think I agree with both of you. Like, competition is healthy. It is good. But if you were happy just being second, second, you know, I don't think you'd survive in that environment. It's an environment that Eddie wants everyone to be driving. I do like your answer about, like, focusing on yourself, though, and enjoying yourself. I, I like people say all the time, but it's true. When you when you enjoy yourself and not comfortable, when you enjoy yourself and you're not looking back, you, you always play your best rugby. You train, you enjoy yourself. Otherwise, you know, it gets a bit sappy. You know, if you're if always looking back at this guy, this guy, and yeah, I find you're just you're just getting a little. It's okay. It's okay to sap, but I find if you sap all the time and you're always looking looking over your shoulder, yes, yeah, it's, it's not a good environment. So I just try and make it the best. But I enjoy myself. And if there's some some spunker coming up. Uh, fair play to him. Hi guys, Carl Sinclair here, uh, England rugby player. You're listening to England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Right, we're about done. We're just going to finish this with Ask Dylan Anything. You boys get to ask me one question each. Are you working for Amazon at the minute? No. I was going to say, give me a job at Amazon, bro. That was my question. I don't question. think it's hard to get a job at Amazon, Dickie. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. desperate for delivery drivers at yes, the minute. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't drive. Okay, we didn't get into this, but imagine around Exeter... Luke Cowan-Dickey delivering on horseback. Yeah, that'd be good. You could set that up. I'd have to get a shot. I'd have to get a shire or something like that, wouldn't I? So, for someone that's so impressive, I'm actually a little bit disappointed that you don't drive. There must be a reason why you don't drive. So, no, 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 no. Your... Deal, deal. I drive. Of course, I bloody drive. I drove up here. You have to come in single cars. Elliot Daly doesn't drive. That's embarrassing. Yeah, that's ridiculous. No, I drive. It was a joke, but the joke obviously went too far. You were too deep into it. Yeah, yeah we just we no, lost it. Do you know why? Because I know there are players that don't drive, like Elliot Daly. It's embarrassing. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. So, have you got a legitimate question? No, I don't work at Amazon, and just because I did TV for Amazon doesn't mean I could get you a job with Amazon delivering. Oh, devastated. Um, do you feel like happy now you've retired, or do you like miss it, or like? Oh, I'm really content with how it all went and by the end of it I was very tired physically uh very tired mentally like I'd done everything that I wanted to do you know I exceeded but like Dickie you know I never thought I could do what I did um with the ability I had as well so I to to rack up the amount of games I did and um you know we we the experiences I had I lost things I won things I went through all the disciplinaries and all that you know, I exceeded my expectations. So by the time I was done, I was really happy. And and you guys know when you've got a young family at home, spending more time away becomes difficult. And then your knees start creaking and it's like you've got Dickie chomping at your heels. It's like, you know, how long can you keep doing this? Um, do you know what? I'm genuinely happy that my knee told me to stop and I didn't have to, you know, make that decision that you know Dan Carter's just made where you, you've got to stop playing. So I'm happy Very my self, knee retired. yourself to Dan Carter. <laughs> Quite the opposite. <laughs> But yeah, boys, good luck in the forthcoming weeks. And it's been a pleasure to talk to you both. Thank you for your insights. That's what I'm That's it for this week. Always good to chat to those boys. We've actually spoken to them both on the podcast before. So head back through our archive to check them out. You'll see loads of other episodes with some of your England favourites too. And if you fancy that signed England shirt, you can still leave a review to be in with a chance to win. We really like to hear your feedback like this from J22 White. This podcast leaves the negativity and trolls behind and is a hell of a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. Thank you very much, mate. I'll be back next Tuesday. Catch you then.